Welcome to the Supplemental Podcast. We are two licensed therapists sharing our therapeutic and personal perspectives. We hope this clinical and applicable insight will inspire you and challenge you to grow. So today we're talking about attachment and we're calling it all about attachment, but since attachment is such a universal idea and experience and concept, I wanted to narrow it in a little bit and talk about attachment through more of a clinical lens since the two of us are therapists. So to kick us off, I wanted to ask you how you integrate attachment theory into some of your work with clients, both individuals and couples. Yeah. Um, so I love attachment theory and I'm super excited. Um, I, my answer is a resounding yes of like, I absolutely integrate this with everybody, whether they like it or not. Um, I mean that in a good way. So yeah, I absolutely, attachment comes up for me a lot with individuals and couples, um, probably more so couples, um, because that kind of follows through, I follow the emotionally focused therapy framework for couples and attachment theory absolutely falls into that. So that comes up a lot with them, but it also does with individuals because as we, you know, break this down and explain it, it becomes so clear how our initial attachment in childhood follows us and kind of plays into our adulthood. And then, you know, one thing I find myself talking with people a lot about is even if you had a certain type of attachment when you were young, you're not stuck either. You know, there's things that you can do to help adjust or make improvements or even heal from an attachment that was hard. Yes. And that, I think that's what makes attachment work fun, which again, sometimes clients, like you said, might not always agree, but it's so workable and changeable. And that's the beauty of it because some things in life are set in stone and attachment doesn't have to be one of those. Um, One of the ways that I kind of integrate attachment theory in addition to what you were saying too is with a lot of body work because attachment reactions and attachment triggers are so somatic. And a lot of the time I'll have clients come in who are talking about stomach issues or headaches or like very strange bodily symptoms that doctors can't explain. And so much of the time um, it comes down to the situation really being about attachment triggers or things relationally that are triggering them that they weren't conscious had to do with attachment to begin with. So I don't know if you see that too, but that seems to be a common theme. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think we might have touched on this in a previous episode too about our body, mind, and soul. And that is kind of the core of my therapy approach is that our bodies have so much to do with our minds and are such good signalers to what is going on and all that. And I absolutely agree that attachment falls into that. Um, Because if you think about it, we'll probably get here too, but our attachment begins at birth or in the womb, depending on what you follow and or what you believe. But um, there's so much physical connection that goes on at that point too. And I think to me, that's a natural connection of how our bodies and our emotional attachment go hand in hand. They do. They cannot be separated for better or worse, Mm -hmm. but they're inseparable. So when you can tell with a client um, that something related to attachment is coming up, how do you typically educate or explain the attachment styles to your clients? 
Uh, so I try to go, I, I don't know if this is good or bad, but I, I ask them if they've <laughs> heard of attachment theory, but I go off of the assumption that a lot of people haven't. And that's, I don't mean that in a negative way, but I just think the vast majority of people don't know um, the difference. I start off by letting them know the different attachment styles. And um, I'm sure we can talk about where this came from and the theory and whatnot. And I explain it that way because the original theory came out of um, them studying babies and how babies reacted to their moms leaving the room. And it's just the, the, re the I don't know, discovery that they made and how attachment theory came about is so perfectly... Um, explained in how these babies interacted and so I usually go by explaining that and then kind of find a way of how that might connect to their current behavior and that's perfect because I wanted us to actually dive into the baby's example which I had it in the back of my mind that you might think of the three babies or four babies um, yeah. Yeah. doing that. So do you want to break that down with me? Maybe you can explain secure attachment. I can explain avoidant. Do you want to explain anxious and I'll do disorganized? Yeah, for sure. So secure. Um, <clears throat> I'll kind of and pop in and tell me if you remember different details too. But um, to lay the groundwork of the experiment, first of all, experiment sounds like a scary word, <laughs> but all all experiments are done with permission. Um, this was done by Bowlby years and years ago, and they um, set up a room for babies to come in and play. And they were simply observing how a baby responded when their mother or caregiver, I believe it was mostly mothers, but dropped them off to this experiment room. And then they monitored how the baby reacted when mom left and how the baby reacted while she was gone. I can't remember the time frame, but I don't think it was terribly long, like maybe... 10 to 20 minutes or something. I don't know if you remember. Enough for the baby uh, to notice, but not an, a, a large amount of time. Right. Yeah. Um, so then, and also just to preface, <laughs> there was people in there with the babies. They weren't just like totally alone. Um, so yeah. And then they would observe or monitor, take notes or whatnot about how the babies reacted while parent or caregiver mother was gone. And then also assessed how the baby reacted when mom returned. So that was the gist of it for all the styles. And what they came to find out is they named, I think he only named three and then a fourth one was later figured out. So he named the secure, anxious, and avoidant. Um, am I right there? Yes, you are. You nailed it. <laughs> okay. So um, I'll do secure. A securely attached baby, according to their research, um, probably showed a little bit of, because um, most babies have, have an attachment to their parent in general, meaning they're used to being with them or whatnot. And so a securely attached baby, when the mother dropped them off, they might have had a moment of, wait, what's happening? Where's my mom going? But they were able to easily adapt to their environment. They were able to play. Um, if another person was there to interact with them or comfort them or whatever, they responded well to that. And when the mother returned, they gleefully or joyfully met her like, oh, great. I'm so glad you're back. You know, um, they have a much more safe sense about I'm not being abandoned by my mom. I, I might not like that she left for a minute. 
but I know I'm safe. I'm okay here. And oh, great, she returned. So they have an overall secure sense that their mother or caregiver is going to take care of them. Yes, and they have that amazing ability to self-regulate too, which shows up later in life. And then you have the potentially anxious attachment style, which is your kiddo who is kind of clinging to mom, is maybe on mom's lap, doesn't really want to go play in the corner with the new toys or anything, is just highly fearful of separation from mom. And as soon as mom gets up to leave the room temporarily, of course, the child will often become inconsolable or will chase her or cling on to her. And to the degree, depending, this can obviously vary. There's a continuum of reactions within these three different categories. But the anxious one is probably going to like sit at the door and scream and be inconsolable and not be able to self-regulate until mom returns. And is definitely not going to pay attention to that other adult. If anything, they're going to resent that other adult in the room and want nothing to do with them. And then as soon as mom returns, um, that child is likely to cling back probably more than ever and eventually calm down with the presence of mom. But the, the point of that is they can't really regulate themselves and the, the anxiety lies in the fear of abandonment and needing mom to be there in order for them to feel calm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very good description. <laughs> do you so, want to do avoidant? Sure. Yeah, I can do avoidant. Um, so yeah, that would be our next one, which in the infant case, the um, baby that is avoidantly attached, according to Bowlby, would show little to no stress at all when being dropped off. Um, they would be sort of, they would sort of care less about it um, and probably adapt well Um in the play situation, but not, I, I am going to throw in there too, that they might adapt well, meaning that they're not going to be like the anxious baby throwing a fit, crying inconsolably. They will manage, but they will not be They're They're not in the same category as the secure baby. So if there was another caregiver in the room, um, trying to play or interact with them, they would not attach to that person either. They are a lonesome <laughs> A lonesome writer in this. Uh, and then when the parent returns, they have, a, I don't know if I want to say no emotion, but they have no um, positive reaction toward the parent returning. They don't have that attachment. They have um, sort of a disconnect or a distance. And so they're not excited and they probably show more of an active avoidance of the parent rather than being happy that they're back. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, too, those avoidant kiddos can be misinterpreted as being secure, kind of like what you said, because they can seem very independent and very autonomous and entirely fine on their own. But it's really because they have learned from that primary attachment figure that that person isn't reliable and is going to abandon them. So they should never get close in the first place. Mm -hmm. Because they've already felt abandoned, which is the terrible thing, but they know that deep down I've already been let down or abandoned and I'm going to protect myself by keeping my distance so that doesn't happen again. Yes, 100%. And as we're talking, I'm just going to throw in there, this might apply to anyone listening because the point of the infant examples is that those 
primary styles can stick with us. And as we're talking, you might even be able to identify with some of the behaviors that show up even in adult ways now, but they do get embedded relatively earlier on or in other um, significant relationships throughout the lifetime. So then there's mm-hmm. that weird one, the disor- I, I call it disorganized. I know there's been multiple names thrown out for that yeah. fourth add-on style. What have you heard? I can't remember now that you say that. I I know of disorganized, and that's what I think of, too. There is another name, though, and I'm blanking on it right now. We'll just call it disorganized. (laughs) Insecure. Is it insecure? It could be. I think I've heard that. And then I'm hearing, like, mix. There is, and that's going to haunt us, and we'll think of it, I don't know, later tonight when we (laughs) wish that we hadn't. But full circle, disorganized is what we'll call that category, and that category is a combination, and feel free to piggyback with me on this one too. We can kind of both jump in. But it is the combination of the anxious and avoidant style mixed together. And so it can be a child who is excited to, to come to you, I think so. Is it ambivalent? Yes, I think it might be. Okay, that might be it too. We are going to have to Google certify (laughs) this after the fact, but we're playing with it. No, no, it's good. Thank you. Thank you. So it's the mix of the anxious attachment and the avoidant attachment, which can be very internally confusing and confusing for the primary caretaker and future connected partners because you get someone or a child to refer to that context that is wanting to be close and clingy and then all of a sudden is avoidant and dismissive and not acknowledging the presence of the primary caregiver and it goes back and forth and back and forth and that usually happens for kiddos who have had mixed experiences with attachment caregivers who were available and then not available and then available and then not available and so that internal regulation isn't there it's a constant high low high low of be attached detached be attached detached and the secure attachment doesn't filter into that. So it can be very, very aggravating for the kiddo um, mm-hmm. and even for caretakers too. But what do you want to add to that? The way that parents respond to their kids is so paramount. And um, I don't want that to be a negative thing for any parent out there that's like, oh my gosh, I messed it up. Because I have this thought regularly, like trying to figure out which attachment style all my children are. And um, it's easy to think, oh no, the middle one is struggling with middle child syndrome and she's anxiously attached. And, you know, every parent could go down the path of, I might have messed something up. But on that note, I want you to know that what you do now um, is just as important as any past day or any future day. So um, don't let any of this attachment talk make you worry about how you've raised your children. Um, But I do say that because I think it sheds light on how powerful um, this stuff is. You know, if there is any truth to babies um, picking up on that at that early of an age, um, it just really shows how formative it is to our emotional and mental selves. And um, again, there's healing or hope that can be done if something didn't go right when you were young or with a child or whatnot. Um, it's, it's not a permanent thing, but it is a powerful thing. It is all the piece. And I think that that's a good segue into more of the meta theme that we're talking about with attachment is that attachment is very real. It can be imprinted at a young age, but it's also malleable. It's also changeable. And the first part of understanding attachment and seeing it for what it is and recognizing which style might be true for you is the 
the foundation of you being able to change that or recognize when you're triggered and realize that you can respond differently. So for example, let's say you're anxiously attached, you learn that, you are working on yourself, maybe you're in a romantic relationship or a family relationship or some sort of, sort of other relationship and you keep getting triggered and like when someone leaves you, you feel this deep sense of abandonment even though you know they're going to be back in like a day or something and it's just festering and bothering you, that would be an example of maybe some unresolved anxious attachment and the awareness around that can really allow people to heal and begin to understand, oh my gosh, this isn't even about that other person and nothing is wrong with me. I am doing this because I'm afraid that I'm going to be abandoned or that people that I care about are always going to disappear or not going to come back and so I cling tightly to them. And so knowing attachment is step one in the healing and then beginning to notice it and then change it actively and how we respond over time is kind of step two as if it's like two steps it's such a complex (laughs) thing to actually unravel but yeah so um the question I guess I'll condense it would be how can understanding attachment styles be beneficial for people I think it can mean everything. It can make all the difference if you can really understand that about yourself. Um, Especially if you get into a relationship where you have a secure attachment and your spouse has an anxious attachment. Um, That is not something that is discussed in premarital counseling or in your dating relationship over sushi. Like This is not a thing that people (laughs) typically know about themselves or discuss with each other. But if you come to understand, you know, based on what I can best figure, I'm securely attached or whatnot, or based on what I know about anxious attachment, I think my wife might be that way. Um, I think that it can be a, such a powerful tool to understand them on a different level and on a very, um, on a very deep and powerful level, because it's sort of the core of how they learned to operate. And like we've said a couple of times, we can, our brain has magical pathways of being able to learn, have new pathways, right? We have ways to create new normals and all that kind of stuff. So um, new things can happen, which is good if it needs to be changed. But in the moment, if uh, if you're dealing with someone that is a different attachment style than you, knowing that can be a really powerful thing in helping that relationship or understanding that person or whatever it is. Um, so that you, it, it probably throws away a lot of the unnecessary fights or disputes or hurts or assumptions or all that kind of stuff. It really can position you differently in the context of a relationship and to a a place of compassion, I think, kind of like you're saying, and understanding around, oh, this person doesn't mean to be doing that. And in fact, I can actually help heal in this moment, not give them another experience that tells them that I'm not emotionally available or I'm going to leave. And Mm -hmm. to add to that too, that same thing can happen internally. And so I think at least with clients, when they begin to recognize the attachment styles, and we'll talk through the three babies slash four babies um, example, people have these aha moments where they go, that just makes so much sense. I'm totally that one. I had no idea that this was a thing. And normalizing it for them is almost the enlightenment in and of itself because it's experienced. I mean, attachment, like we were saying, is so universal. People can just identify with it. And can even shift from, um, 
I guess a dialogue of shame because I think a lot of the time when people are having attachment triggers they feel like they're being ridiculous like they just get hijacked and then they feel insecure or shameful or like something's wrong with them because they get really really triggered and then they realize oh this makes sense this is for a reason this was actually me adapting over time this was a sophisticated way to develop a system as a kid but I can change it now and that's where I think attachment styles can be really helpful for people Mm -hmm. and hard to hear sometimes too if I'm being honest right yeah I think that's really true um that it's important to know that just because it was this way potentially when you were young it absolutely does not have to continue that way and being aware of that helps you know okay here's where I need to make this adjustment and I to me that brings back sort of the body and somatic part of it where that's your body's cue of saying hey something's off here and it's letting you know I might need to deal with this. So your body's cue might present as anxiety and maybe that is what it is, but there also might be another case where if you peel a couple more layers back, that anxiety is rooted in something regarding your attachment. And I think just being aware of that gives you so much more power over how to deal with it personally and again, you know, for other people as well. It definitely can. And understanding how attachment can be a part of healing. I mean, we could talk about that forever, but I guess if it comes to mind, I'll kind of go off the cuff a little bit here, but can you think of maybe an example of an avoidant attachment client? Don't speak specifically about them, obviously, uphold confidentiality, mm-hmm. etc. where you've seen that healing happening, where it started with education and awareness of the attachment, and then over time, they were able to heal that. Can you have any examples off the cuff? Yeah, I actually have a really great example. Um, I have a client who was essentially emotionally and physically abandoned by her mother and her father raised her, um, which this is interesting because there's sort of two different attachment styles in a way from those two experiences. Um, But I'll talk about just the mom in particular. Um, I think that left her with a avoidant attachment and I think initially when therapy started it was relating to marriage and how that was present in her marriage um and so we worked through some of that stuff and then it came out later all of this with her mom and I think that something that has been just in this case something that has been really helpful is first of all the awareness of attachment theory and style and the characteristics that go with that but Also, having the permission to not have to stick with that Um, and having, um, in a weird way, having the experience of practicing something different with her husband um, sort of opened the door to, oh, wait, I can have a secure attachment um, with him. And so maybe I can come to terms with my avoidant attachment with my parent. And... um, I think some of this healing might be a little bit lifelong, maybe not always, but some of those really deep wounds can still come back up over and over again. Um, So I'm not quite sure if I, I think she would be the only one that could speak to that if she feels fully healed from it. But I think there's been leaps and bounds of progress because she does have a secure attachment with her spouse now. And she's at the point where she can say, you know, my avoidant attachment with my 
mom is very painful to me and very disappointing, but I'm also okay to lay that to rest and say, that is what happened. That's part of my story, but it doesn't, um, it doesn't have to continue to be my future of attachments. I like that a whole lot. And what I like about that too, is you are not at all shying away from the very, slow paced little step by little step work that attachment is which can be discouraging when I first say that but that's how attachment gets set too like sure it can initially get set and locked in from a neurological level but then it's these little experiences over and over and over and over and over and over and over again throughout childhood young adulthood etc that shape that and undoing that and trying something new also takes those little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit um it it requires that to some degree to heal and the context of secure relationships I mean I think people have to test out new attachment styles because if you have this belief that I'm always going to be abandoned cling on tightly or I'm going to be abandoned so don't even get attached in the first place like those are very very strong beliefs that usually have reasons for being there and so people will test others and be like yeah but are you really going to stay are you really going to stay I'm going to push you away and see what you do with it and so it's a it's an a dance and an evolution for sure but the healing I think to sum it up is definitely doable it's work but it's worthwhile work and it's an act of self-love too that I think is beautiful in the way that it can change generational patterns that get passed down in families and if you are someone who's working on attachment work or you're having these weird somatic symptoms or body issues that where you don't know why you're getting stomach aches all the time or you're randomly getting hijacked and triggered if attachment is a part of that what you're also doing is changing maybe what's been passed down to you and was passed down to your parents and potentially even passed down to them so if it feels big it's because it is big but it's also mm-hmm. very monumental when you can shift that and change that and pay that forward to others that you love in a different kind of more secure way. Part of the difficult part of it is that we expect to, you know, as an infant, we expect to be able to rely on our caregivers to give us a secure attachment. And that does not always happen. And um, the trouble is when you get to an adult and you realize that didn't happen, you sort of have to become your own caregiver. And, um, you know, something that I say to clients sometimes is, how would you say this to your child or how would you say this to a child? And maybe you need to be that delicate with yourself to start with. And that is definitely not a bad thing because you're right. This is really big. Um, if someone has had a difficult attachment and this, the start of it feels very scary and it's okay to be gentle in your approach of figuring all this out. Yes. Gentle is exactly the right touch. And To sum it up, I think I'll say there's no way to sum up attachment because it's massive and we will leave it at that. But I think we've begun to dig into it and dabble with it and hopefully provided some user-friendly ways to make some really small changes over time. 